everybody, and welcome to a post-bi-week edition of the Kelly Green Hour. We're happy to be back with you as the Philadelphia Eagles get set to open up the second half of their season as they are 3-4-1 and sit in first place in the NFC East. I'm your host, LG Hero, and joining me as always is my co-host, Connor. Connor, how you been, man? I've been good, man. I had a vacation this week, so you saw I picked out a Christmas tree with the new baby and uh, hung Christmas lights and and just relaxed, getting ready for the chaos of Christmas with a newborn. So, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, man, when you have a newborn, you have to visit every family. Well, I don't know how, if it's going to be different this year because of COVID, but in normal times, you have to visit every family member because every family member wants to see the baby and wants to take pictures with the baby and give gifts to the baby. Maybe, maybe, now I don't know if this is a, a, a good thing, but maybe you'll, you won't have to see as many people this holiday season. Oh, we're hoping more people will come to us instead. That's true. That's, true. That's the hope. But uh, I mean, I guess we'll wait and see on that. But um, <laughs> but I'm ready to talk Eagles. We took the bye week off just like the Eagles did. And, and yeah, well, hopefully the Eagles didn't take the bye week off because they really need to do some work. But uh, otherwise, hopefully they got to rest a little bit and are ready to make this uh, postseason push. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that because it seems like coming out of the bye, they're getting healthy, um, which is which for this team. Uh, I don't remember the last time they were they were healthy. They only have one, as of right now, only one guy out for this week's game against the Giants, and that's Craig James. Um, but before we get started, we want to thank everybody that listens to our show. Please follow us on Twitter at Kelly Green Hour. You can follow Connor on Twitter at Connor10, and follow me on Twitter at LJHarrell54. Now, let's quickly go back to the Eagles-Cowboys game, in which the Eagles did win 20 20- what was the score? 23-9 or something? I totally forget. 23-9, yeah. 23-9, where the Eagles were fortunate to go up against Ben DiNucci. Whoever made that decision for Dallas should be fired, by the way, because uh, Ben DiNucci is not an NFL quarterback, at least yet. I don't, maybe he will be. Who knows? Um, but we saw what Gar- uh, Garrett Gilbert was able to do against Pittsburgh uh, last week for Dallas. Maybe it's a different outcome if Gilbert starts uh, against the Eagles uh, two weeks, two weeks ago, but you know, the Eagles did what they were supposed to do. You went up against a bad football team with a really bad quarterback. And I think a bad head coach who everybody was talking about in the off season when Dallas hired Mike McCarthy that, Hey, they made an improvement over Jason Garrett. He's just a fatter Jason Garrett. He won one Super Bowl with an all time great quarterback. And that really wasn't him. I think that that was more Aaron Rodgers. but again, Jerry Jones goes out, hires himself a yes, man and somebody that's not going to question him. And this is why Dallas is going to perennially perennially be in this position. They're never going to win anything until Jerry Jones sells the team. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I think he just went out. He got his yes, man. He got the bet, the best and biggest name on the block uh, for coaches at the time. And uh, that, that was the decision that he went with. And I mean, to your point, I mean, I think McCarthy more or less wasted much of Aaron Rodgers' prime, and now we're watching 38-year-old Aaron Rodgers trying to recoup a title or two, and but he's basically doing it with Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, and that's, that's almost about the extent of the weapons, pretty much. When you have um, when you have 150 plus yards being put up by your one receiver, and then 100 plus yards being put up by one running back. And they're producing two thirds, three quarters of your offense. Yeah, it is about all you need. That's for sure. Um, but I mean, yeah, to to your point, they they just don't look good. The Dallas Cowboys aren't looking good, and this is no like this is as unbiased as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Their defense is terrible. Awful. I mean, I love. And they this, just lost I Trayvon mean, Diggs for for a month or two. Four to six weeks. Yeah. So like. For me, the C.D. Lamb pick was a really good pick. It was a good value pick. It was the best spiteful pick you could have after us taking Dallas Goddard. But you needed defense. Mm-hmm. Leighton Vander Esch has been okay. Jalen Smith has been a complete train wreck. Ever the linebackers that, that they, yeah, the linebackers that they thought were their future, their core are not looking like the core anymore. They, ever since it looks the Marcus, like, and ever since the Marcus Lawrence got paid, he's done nothing. 
Exactly. It looks like as, as soon as they pay people, they just don't play properly. And, and like Leighton Vander Esch and stuff, it looks like Leighton Vander Esch and Jalen Smith were kind of a byproduct of the coin, the secondary that they had in place in the years before last year where it all fell apart. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, you also see the how important and I don't like Dak Prescott. I like Dak. Pre- I do like Dak Prescott as a quarterback. I do think he's very skilled. I think he's very well respected. I think he will find a job, no doubter. You see how important Dak Prescott and is to the Dallas Cowboys team. You do, and you you see why teams pay quarterbacks before they pay running backs and wide receivers. No team, any no sane team owner, general manager, is going to pay your your running back and your your wide receiver over a hundred million dollars before you get the quarterback, the most important position in all of sports, settled. I don't know if Jerry Jones believes in, obviously, okay, Dak is talented, and we see what this team is like without, without and, and I know we're going way too far into talking about Dallas, so we'll make this quick, but we see what Dallas is like without Dak, but Jerry Jones obviously doesn't believe that Dak can win them a championship, or he would have paid Dak before he paid Zeke and, and Amari. Maybe he, right now he's going to the point of trying to, to you know, quote unquote, tank to get get Trevor Lawrence, which would suck as an Eagles fan. But I don't know if they're going to be that bad because the I don't I don't think they bad. can be that bad because yeah. there's two other teams doing a little bit worse and the doing Jets a lot better his, job the, of it. The Jets are historically bad, um, but it's just like there is a reason they didn't pay him. But th- that's why Dallas is again parentally going to be just mediocre because they prioritize the wrong positions at the wrong times. Definitely. I, I, I can, I completely agree with you on that point. And like people are like, Oh, Zeke makes stack. I, I think they make each other. You're seeing Zeke without Dak for an extended period of time is actually really hurting Zeke. Oh, I yeah. think in the long run. And I mean, I guess the offensive line and we know how important an offensive line is. They're having a lot of issues across that mm-hmm. offensive line. There's holes everywhere. And if you go right now, they have the fifth pick in the draft. If you go into that pick and I read them all yesterday, they had them taking Patrick Sertain, which is a gimme. Easy pick. Yeah. Very easy pick. If you end up having to go with a quarterback or you end up basically having to start building that from scratch with a position like quarterback or along that offensive line, as much as I would love, well, as much as a Cowboys fan would love a Trey Lance in that situation or if Penny Sewell dropped there, it just, you need Dak. You need that franchise quarterback. It's too late. I can't wait, all honestly. The there. Like, I, like, just, I, oh. I, I know we're in a playoff race right now, and I don't want to think about it, but I can't wait to get to, to the offseason to start talking draft. That's one of my and, – and it's one of my favorite times of the year is when we get to start doing mock drafts. My last point about Dallas, though, I am – a thousand percent happy, so happy that they let Matt Rule get out of the state of Texas. I thought Matt Rule was going to be the best coach in this hiring cycle that we just went through. And what he has done with Carolina, you know, in the draft, they drafted all defensive players. They built that defense up. Jeremy Chin, um, Matos Gross from uh, Gross Matos from Penn State. Like they have built that defense through the draft. Matt Rule is one heck of a coach you saw what he did at temple you saw what he did at baylor in college and i'm not a temple guy i hate temple but he he put them on the map like what he has done with carolina is it and the giants should have hired him dallas should have hired him washington like the three teams in our division are idiots they're dumb you don't for not even for not offering matt rule the franchise if you offer matt rule the franchise you're in a lot better position than you are now with the current head coaches that you have yeah, Matt Rule is doing an incredible job, and and they knew they had a need on the defensive side of the ball, and they addressed it. Dallas knew they had a need on the defensive side of the ball, multiple needs on the defensive side of the ball, and no disrespect to the CD Lamb pick, I cannot go without saying that that was an amazing value uh-huh. pick, but you'd be in a lot better position if you were rolling out Amari Cooper, uh, Michael Gallup, Zeke, Rolling out the same roster minus C.D. Lamb with other needs like maybe safety, a defensive edge or tackle, mm-hmm. a cornerback. Mm-hmm. If you had a rolled out in an addressing of those three positions, you would be looking a lot better, I think, and you would probably be running away with the division. 
if you had have addressed those three positions over going with CD Lamb. Uh, hindsight 2020, obviously uh-huh. the injury, the injury issues for the Dallas Cowboys. Welcome to the club. Don't <laughs> use it as an excuse. Exactly. We've learned we've learned the best from Dallas Cowboys fans. Injuries are not an excuse. You can't use them <laughs> as an excuse for being bad. It's next man up, and that's the way it goes. So welcome to the club, boys. Hey, we that's don't all use I got to say. We don't use them as excuses. We win games or we go to the playoffs. So that's different. Now let's move to the Eagles on um, that game. All right, so we, we mentioned how they won 23-9 because um, we talked way too long about the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we don't want to give them any, any um, pointers on how to run a franchise. <clears throat> um, I want to talk about Carson Wentz. Carson Do we Wentz have to, terrible. though? We ha- Do we, we have really to. have to? He is the quarterback. Carson <laughs> Wentz was terrible. Look, I'm a Carson Wentz fan. I don't like talking bad on him. I'm on the Wentz wagon. I'm on, you know, the LTBB wagon, as uh, Ike Reese of 94WIP is, is is the leader of it. So I, like, I'm all for Carson being this being this team's quarterback, leading this team to the playoffs, being the, the future. They, they paid him. I know, you know, he's going to start getting paid next year like, like that guy. But he needs to turn it around. Now, is it all on Carson? No. Doug Peterson hasn't helped him. His play calling hasn't been good. He, it's, it's, it, it was just like Andy Reid did with, when Donovan was his quarterback. When Donovan would get hurt and Jeff Garcia, A.J. Feely, um, uh, Coy, De- or, yeah, Coy Detmer, whenever other, you know, whenever backup quarterbacks would get in there, they change the game plan to fit what the quarterback does. But then when you have the starter, it's like, we're going to throw the ball 50 times, and when you make a mistake, you're going to be the one to get blamed. It makes zero sense to me that you cannot design an offense around the skill set of your quarterback. We know Carson's better outside the pocket, and we saw and, and we see like, the, the first half of the season that Doug liked it. You know, let's do five and seven step dropbacks and try to. No, it doesn't work. Use the skill set that your quarterback has. We know he's better throwing on the move. He's one of the best quarterbacks throwing the football on the move. Did he have a, that interception um, against Dallas when he was rolling out and he threw it downfield looking for Rager, I believe, um, and Diggs picked it off in the end zone? Sure, it happens. But you need to find a way to, un- as, as Doug said a couple weeks back, unclutter your quarterback's head and, you know, just find a way to get him to, to get back on track. We know the skills that Carson Wentz has. We need to get him back. to. You're not, he's not going to be 2017 for him. As much as we would love to see it, the MVP for him, it's probably not going to happen. But we need to find a way to get Carson comfortable in this offense again to where he's not trying – too much on the field when you have a bunch you have a bunch of skill position players now. Miles Sanders is back. Dallas Goddard is back and he'll be healthier as me. Zach Ertz is coming back in a couple of weeks probably. Rager, Fogum, Alshon's back. Like you have and your offensive line is healthy. You're healthy on the offensive side of the ball now. Do not do too much and just get the ball in your playmaker's hands and Doug has to help him with the play calling. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I posted a stat on the Kelly Green Hour, uh, a little thread on the Kelly Green Hour Twitter page about how much time he has in the pocket. And you could give him more time. You can give him less time. He's the same type of quarterback, whether he's got more than two and a half seconds to throw or less than two and a half seconds to throw. And that's really concerning to me because he if you have more time to process and make that decision, I really feel like Carson Wentz should be making the right decision and making the best decision. But week in and week out, we see film film guys. There's a few guys who break down film for the Philadelphia Eagles and they're like, look on this play and they're circling all the wide open guys. Carson Wentz has a one track mind. It feels like he goes out there and he looks in one direction, scans the field, looks around really quickly to everything else and turns right back to where he wants to be. It feels like he has a play in mind when he's backing up in the pocket. And if that play isn't going to work out, then he just bails out and he tries to run or he gets sacked or he fumbles or a bad decision gets made because he's trying to force that ball in. And and I think that that's something that Carson Wentz needs to work on. That decision-making has to change. It has to change now. Like, to, coming into this game, it obviously needed to change from week one onward. But they, they entered this game. This team had one interception. I think uh-huh. they had one turnover all season, all together. Just one turnover, and we allowed them to get, like, four. Two picks uh-huh. and two fumbles. Like, that's inexcusable for a team who we just ragged on for how bad their draft was because they didn't take much on the defensive side of the ball. And, like, 
at the end of the day, that that's not what I feel is the issue with Carson Wentz. He has a one or two men open on every single play, but he has his mind set on like it's kind of like, you know, in Madden when you're playing Madden and you're like, I like this guy's route. So I'm going to pick X to throw to. And you look to X. It never he never gets open, never gets open, never gets open. And then the pocket collapses around you. And you're like, screw it. I'm throwing to X and you <laughs> throw to X and they get the pick. That's what I feel like Carson Wentz does. He doesn't look around enough. He doesn't examine the field. There's been multiple times where people will break down the film and show on four or five dropbacks where he had wide open one, two, three wide open guys. And he was committed to one side of the field and committed to getting the, getting the ball to that one person. Yeah, so, and he's got to get that, that mindset wiped clean. And I think his decision-making comes with that mindset changing. Yeah, and there was that one play, I think it was on fourth down, where he had hit a fumble after a Leighton Van Der Esch sack, where he had, I think it was Rager or Greg Ward in the middle of the field open. It would have been an easy first down, but he just didn't pull pull the trigger. And it's like Carson is trying to get the big the big play, trying to score like two touchdowns on one play, like every almost every time he drops back, which is which is frustrating because just take what the defense gives you, um, and like he has that gunslinger mentality. It's almost like a Brett Favre mentality, and it, it's really not his game right now. He needs to adjust his game until he can get that feel back. You know, you got to say you lead the league in turnovers. You have a turnover, at least one turnover in every game this year. Like this is bad. You have, was he at 14 or 16 turnovers in eight games? It's, I think it's 14. It's not good. So he mm-hmm. needs to, this team right now, they're, they're in a position. They're getting healthy at the right time. They're in a position. They're, they're in first place in the East. They're in a position to, to, you know, quote unquote, run away with this division. But you have to think about it. After the Giants, you have, Five games against playoff team, p- potential playoff teams. Cleveland. Um, now it's not in this exact order, so but you have Cleveland, Green Bay, Arizona, um, New Orleans, Seattle. That mm-hmm. stretch right there is going to really tell what this team is made of. And Carson Wentz, they're, and they're not going to go anywhere <clears throat> if Carson Wentz doesn't play better football. Definitely. That that stretch of five games is going to be what separates the boys from the men and what mm-hmm. tells you if we deserve to make that playoff with the playoffs or not. Because if we lose four of those five or we lose all five of those games, which we definitely shouldn't, because I personally believe the Cleveland Browns are one of the worst playoff teams right now. Um, but if you lose four or five of those games, then you make it and anything can happen. I don't believe I don't live they and die by that like some people games. do. So some people live and die by if you're in, you never know what might happen. If you lose four of those five and still get in, you know that you're getting in, you're limping in just to get pounded to the ground in the wild card round. You just uh, know well, if you can't. Maybe win those it depends games. on who we face because there's a potential that we could face, say, like the Chicago Bears, and I don't think the Bears are any good. Um, granted, again, not to look too far ahead, but a Chicago Bears Philadelphia Eagles playoff matchup in Philly when it's possibly Nick Foles against Carson Wentz, would implode the city. But I'm just saying, there there's a potential that you could be facing somebody that, like, they made it, but they're really not – like, I, I don't know. It's all de- It obviously will depend on the matchup. Like, right now, if the playoffs were to start today, we would face Tampa Bay. Yeah, we would probably get smoked by Tampa Bay because Tom Brady, historically, minus Super Bowl field, granted, he did throw for over 500 yards in that, in that game, but he – typically plays very well against the Eagles. So like, mm-hmm. the, and with the weapons he has, good Lord, um, with Evans and Godwin Gronk and mm-hmm. Antonio Brown, uh, Rojo. And like, that would, th- that would be a very tough matchup. But I think as the season goes on, you know, it's safe to say that the winner of the NFC East is going to be the four seed. So you're going to play the best remaining. You're going to play the best wildcard team that's left. So. Mm-hmm. That, absolutely. And I mean, I I just think like if you don't have that playoff game mentality going forward from now oh, yeah, till the end of the season, yeah. every game you have to play like it's gonna be the playoffs, and we have to sit there and be able to say each week they put out they poured their heart into it. That was a really good game. Pick out more positives than there are negatives, whether it's a win or a loss, and be like this team could stand up in the playoffs, and that's what we need to see, and that's what we need to be able to talk about each week. Not saying, oh, we played down to their level. <laughs> oh, Ben Denu- look what Ben Denucci did to us. Who the hell is Ben Denucci? 
Who the hell is Garrett Gilbert to, to that fact? He's been on eight different NFL teams. And, and an yet AAF team. a lot of people, and an AF team, yet a lot of people are just learning his name. Like, we can't play down to that level. Um, but like you said, the health is big. Like, what? Like Jalen Rager didn't do much. But just imagine the idea, like, in the Dallas Cowboys game, how helpful Jalen Rager is in opening up the field. Because mm-hmm. we don't have Deshaun Jackson. We didn't have Miles Sanders. The idea of having this gadget player who can really open up the field for you and open up the play, the field for other players. And then Dallas Goddard, obviously, he was only targeted, I think, three times. Once. I thought it was once. Oh, maybe it was once. So, but obviously, Goddard, that was his first game back. He's probably not 100%. Now he's probably 100%. But it's bodies. It's bodies that have to be accounted for. Can't you? It's not like Carson Wentz going out wide and you're like, oh, good jeez. Let's put one of our worst players on him. He, we know he's not doing anything. But these are actual legitimate guys who you have to put a body on and you have to know. So I think it goes without saying. Reger's impact, he did He did have the touchdown, Pat, to, the touchdown uh-huh. catch. But it goes, you can't, you can't not say enough about getting these bodies back. Jalen Reger, Miles Sanders this week, Dallas Goddard. Um, Lane Johnson, who should be well beyond the 50-50 flip. Isaac Samalu coming back because that guard position has been completely a wreck each week. You look, the guard position is giving up the most pressures, the most QB hits, the worst, the most everything pretty much, those two guard positions. So if you can get one semi-short up, some Samalu isn't great, but he's a lot better than what we're putting out there with Pryor and Herbig then you can focus on the other guard position and, and you know, put in two men there or trying to double team whoever's coming at that guard. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of positives and there's a lot of bodies that you have to account for. Um, so you we can't go without talking about the health of players, especially the couple that we got back against the Dallas Cowboys. It draws attention and, and it shows that Jalen Reger hasn't really blown up for us. But you can see what he brings to the team each and week when he's getting open, when Carson Wentz is seeing him on the plays where he's open and Wentz doesn't see him. You see him producing without actually producing. So, and another position where, where we got healthy, we had a couple of players back, was the linebacker position because TJ Edwards looks, and, and I think it was an addition by subtraction because Nate Gary's not on the field. Our linebackers actually looked, you know, like NFL linebackers. TJ Edwards, Alex Singleton, Getting more play at the linebacker position actually looks really good out there. Um, now, now again, that was against Ben DiNucci, so let's see, let's see what he does against you know when we go up against the real NFL offense um, with with a quarterback. And I'm not, and maybe it is this week against the Giants, but we, we yeah, saw but, but, that I mean, we like saw you, that addition you, by subtraction because Nate Gary that wasn't out there blowing coverage and missing a thousand tackles, and you mm-hmm. see T.J. Edwards, you know. When he was blitzing, he was getting through through the A gap when he needed to. He was in coverage. Like they seemed to be in the right positions when they needed and where they needed to be. I mean, and you you kind of say like, oh, we you know it was just the Dallas Cowboys. Let's just remember how little the linebacker position is valued in Philadelphia. And if you can produce a line like T.J. Edwards, it doesn't matter who you're against. That line would not have happened with Nate Gary. Nate Gary would not have made that play to end the game. So any game where we're making positive strides at the linebacker position that very little is asked of you beyond just monitoring the middle of the field, that was impressive by by TJ Edwards. He was making some big plays. He was all over the field, and we knew he deserved to get that play time. And over the next three weeks, if he continues to play like that, Nate Gary better come back and see more special team time like TJ Edwards was in defensive time. And because it still bothers Nate me Gary that- doesn't deserve it. It still bothers me that Jim Schwartz and Ken Fajoli still praise Gary. They must not be watching the same tape that we are. All right. So we, we, we've kind of touched upon this, but we want to talk about the expectations for the second half of the season. And a lot of it is Carson Wentz just playing better. He has to, if, if Carson Wentz can play better, this team is going to go to the playoffs because the rest of the division is trash. Even, even if the Giants are playing a little better. Um, but, you know, this, this schedule, we, we talked about those five games. That's where it's going to come down to. They have to win at least two of those five games because you have three division games, which you would assume and you hate to assume because if you assume you make ass out of yourself, that they're going to win the three division games. So that puts you at six wins. And you can win two. All you have to do is win two of those five, Cleveland, Arizona, Green Bay, New Orleans, Seattle. That puts you at eight, seven, and one. And you should win this division by at least three games. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I, I gave, I think when I was preparing for the episode, I looked at the schedule. I think I gave us Cleveland. I gave us the three division games. Mm-hmm. And then I think I just gave us one of the, one of the other four, which is realistic because Seattle, yeah. you're not put like, I, I want to give us Arizona so bad because of the defense on Arizona's Arizona. side of the ball. But to that same point, Arizona's the top scoring offense in the league right Kyler now. Murray so. Is so fun to watch, by the way. That, two, that, Absolutely. that Miami-Arizona game last week, Tua versus uh, Kyler, was so fun to watch. I don't care what anybody says. The future, the future is so bright for some of these teams. Miami's well ahead of the curve already. Oh, yeah. Kyler Murray, like two is fun to watch. Herbert's fun to watch. Like the only one who's not fun to watch is Burrow because he's getting sacked at the same rate that Carson Wentz is. And that's frustrating to watch your franchise get knocked around like that. But I think, yeah, I think I ended up giving us an eight, seven and one record, but that means we win all, we win out the division games, which a Dallas game is the only one that I flip flopped on. Um, and then Washington, you flip flop on that because if we've already locked down, yeah, the, the uh that then you know that like the starters aren't gonna play yep. and that could definitely end up making us a seven eight and one team, but realistically could be an eight seven and one team just based on starting our backups yeah. instead. So, but um, yeah, I definitely have us there. But that those I had to give us one in that stretch of three after Cleveland because that's a tough 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 stretch. Oh yeah, it is. so. Another point when it comes to the quarterback position is if you're going to put Jalen Hurts on the field, they need to change it up. They need to stop running the, the RPO or just that QB lead. The stop. option allow, play, that, that ugly option play allow, that he always does. Yes, allow Jalen Hurts to throw the football. You have to show something else. Um, so if you're going to put him – and if you're doing a two-point conversion with him, do something different. They've done the same two-point conversion play. I don't know what is up with Doug Peterson, but his two-point conversion plays have been terrible. So, like, if you're going to put Jalen Hurts on the field now, and we know they're going to, do I think they should? I think they need to keep let Carson get into rhythm and not. So I think I think it happened against Dallas where there was a drive where, you know, Carson was starting to get in rhythm. They get down into the red zone, and then they bring Jalen Hurts on the field. Don't do that. If your quarterback's in rhythm and you know he struggles, like, if he's in rhythm, just let him go. Mm-hmm. Don't 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 ruin, you know, the, the rhythm of your quarterback if if he's you know they're going on they're going no huddle they're going quick and he's hitting his receivers and then you you you, you slow that down by all right we're bringing Jalen Hurts in the game. Look, I love Jalen Hurts, but he is right now he's not the future of this team. That's Carson Wentz. But if you're going to put Jalen Hurts in the game, do something different. We've seen him throw the ball a couple of times, but yeah yeah you, you got to stop running the same play over and over again. With Jalen. Yeah, yeah, like Jalen Hurts was somebody the teams accounted for, and now it's almost like they don't even account for him because they're like, well, if we stack the box, he's probably just going to try and run the ball. Mm-hmm. And so all they have to do is have their three linebackers or four linebackers and three or four defensive linemen, and then they don't even have to account for the body anymore. And that's not what you want. The whole idea was that it was an extra body to account for. It was going to pull a linebacker. It was going to pull a safety like it was going to pull somebody to spy for on him or to be prepared to do something because he might make a catch downfield or something. But now teams don't barely have to prepare for it because he does that ugly ass option play too often. And they, I don't remember the last time we gained positive yardage on that, mm-hmm. that quarterback option play, whether it be with Carson Wentz or whether it be with Jalen Hurts. And like, yeah, the flow, Doug Peterson and his play column, man, that was something that I said had to fix whether beyond Carson Wentz's decision making, because Doug Peterson can't do much about that. Doug Peterson's play calling has to be more accommodated to what is going on in the game. Like we've seen a lot of games where I think it was the Ravens game. He wanted to run the ball at them. He wanted to get a feel for what was going on and try and wear them down. Well, newsflash. We got no offense in that game until almost partway through the second quarter when we finally put in Jalen Hurts and he finally blew off a big play because your game plan wasn't working and you waited way too long to pull out of that game plan. If you notice on one or two drives that that game plan is not working, abandon. Just mm-hmm. abandon. We've learned, we've seen in a few games that game could have been flipped to a win if we were producing midway through the first end of the first on that second or third offensive possession we might have been able to pull that win off but because of the way he was running his play he wanted to stick to his guns he wanted to stick to his play call 
and it wasn't working. It was like one yard, two yard, negative yard, one yard, two yards, negative. And then you're thing. never, you're not helping Carson Wentz. You're not actually putting him in a situation to succeed because you're throwing the ball on third down every time and expecting him to make that connection. And it wasn't working. So he's got to adjust. It's like he forgets. They, he, it's like he forgets like you can abandon a game plan that you produce pre-game if it's not working and accommodate it to the actual game uh, that's no. happening the in only thing your Doug eyes. Peter, the only thing Doug Peterson abandons is the run, especially when they were running the ball really well against Dallas. That Boston Scott in that first quarter was was averaging five, six, seven yards a carry, and then they, you know, they just stopped doing it. Doug Peterson stinks when it comes to adjustments. And that's the one thing that he definitely needs to approve on. Is something that we need to see. If the game plan's not, like you were saying, the game plan's not working, do something different. Kind of um, reminds me of Brett Brown and the well, uh, Philadelphia I'm not a Sixer. 76ers. I'm not a Sixer <laughs> fan, so I'm glad they suck. Um, <laughs> and they're still not going to win anything with their new uh, regime. Um, but oh, let's, let's get back. Let's get back to the <laughs> Eagles. All right. Um, so let's let's do our quick mid-year uh, awards. Um, because you know, we're, we're at the perfect spot. We're midway through the year. So let's start with the MVP. Who's your MVP of the national football league? Oh, we do for, I, I did for, I did for, uh, the Eagles. I can do, I can do both. We'll keep it just to the Eagles to, to keep it Eagle centric. We can do that. Okay. I did. I picked Brandon Graham, man. He is having a career year and he's what? 32, 33 years yeah. old. Like he's coming all, he's getting his dividends from that paycheck. He should have been paid more. And he's also opening up a lot more opportunity for like Fletcher Cox and mm-hmm. Derek Barnett and Josh Sweat. They're all looking really good because there's a lot of attention that has to be given to Brandon Graham. He's third I think in sacks and he's got like two fumbles for us his tackles for loss and QB hits are amazing yeah, he's gonna set a career also. high in sacks this year 100 percent easily and and I think he's very underrated I think that a lot of people would love to jump at the opportunity to say Travis Fulgham but it's got to be Brandon Graham because what he's doing for that what he's doing for that whole offensive that defensive line and what he's doing for creating pressure and being in a quarterback's face night in and night out you can't say enough about what Brandon Graham's doing for that. That defense. I agree. I mean, I, I can't say anything different. It's definitely Brandon Graham. He's he's the best player on the defense. Um, even though Fletcher Cox gets paid like it, it's it's Brandon Graham. Um, he's he's great against the run. He's great at rushing the passer. Mr. Strip Cack. He's like the strip sack king. Everything you said is 100% spot on. Uh, the offensive player of the year for the Eagles. I'm gonna I'll go first, and I'm gonna go Travis Fulgham. Like. Where would this team be without Travis Fulgham on the offensive side of the football? He had the game-winning touchdown against San Francisco, and he ever since week four, he's like the third has the third most receiving yards or something like that. Maybe even yeah, the most fourth touchdowns. most. What was that? It's a fourth most fourth, receiving okay, yards yeah, so since week four. Fourth most receiving yards, and like he just bad. He 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 sh- He's like a big-bodied guy, but he he shows that he has some speed, but he's got great control. Catches the football at its highest point. So, I mean, tra- you, it, it's hard to go with anybody but Travis Fulgham um, on the uh, offensive side of the ball. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Travis Fulgham, I, I picked Travis Fulgham too. He's at 435 receiving yards, and our top receiver last year had. Let me check it out here. I think it was, yeah, it was Alshon Jeffrey with 490. So he's already almost there, and he's played. Jeffrey did that in 10 games, and he's at 430-some with uh, only five games played. So that's extremely impressive considering we were looking for a 500-yard wide receiver last year. I should specify wide receiver because we're not counting Ertz yeah. and Goddard here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's huge, man. That's huge. And he's already got the same amount of touchdowns as Alshon Jeffrey. He, this reminds me, because I know a lot of people are picking at Nelson Aguilar and the fact, oh, we gave him up. And of course, he starts to play well. Sometimes it's a change of scenery. Travis yeah. was in it was in Detroit. He was drafted in the fifth round, sixth round. And and it it just didn't work. It didn't click there. He comes to Philadelphia. Everything's clicking. They're using him right. They're using him in the right position. And Nelson Aguilar, he went to Vegas. You, they're using him in the right position. They're using him in the right situations. And he's producing in those situations. So the same thing. As much as you want to sit there and say, oh, man, of course you will go off and do that. Be proud of what Fulgham's doing. Be proud of the fact that we brought in a guy who was in a similar situation as Aguilar 
maybe potentially on the downswing of his career, maybe looking for his final job to prove something. And now he's got a permanent job and he's going to be a permanent fixture with the Eagles when he gets a new contract at the end of the season. I agree with you, but it is frustrating watching Nelson Aguilar track footballs for Derek Carr. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. But it's also frustrating to watch Rasul Douglas and Sidney Jones and all these guys who left because we couldn't use them right. It just happens. All right. So let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. Who's your defensive player of the year? You going to give it to Brandon Graham again? No, I can't give it to Brandon Graham. I'm giving it to Darius Slay because I I think that you can't. I give the MVP to to Brandon Graham because he's most valuable on that side of the ball. But I think Mm -hmm. the defensive player of the year has to be Darius Slay because look at how much he has helped to lock down an entire side of a field or largely lock down an entire side of the field. Mm -hmm. And then to be able to allow other people to focus on like a safety being over top and helping another cornerback or safety helping the linebackers or whatever. It opens up so much for other players on the field that like I had to pick Darius. I had to change that up because Darius has been so vitally important. That lockdown corner that is actually doing the lockdown job that Mm -hmm. we didn't get from Rogers Cromarty and that we didn't get from those guys in the past when we tried and hoped that they would be the lockdown corners. He, him and Brandon Graham have such vital roles and help multiple positions with what they're doing for this team that I had to give him defensive player of the year just to give him his props for what he's doing. Yeah, I agree with you. And we're probably going to have all the same. So I know it it seems like we're, we're double talking here, but he's been really good against the receivers that he's had to go up against. And I mean, he's probably, I think he's only given up what, like 40 yards receiving to the receivers that he's been covering. Like he's been in real good position. He tackles well. um, And he's exactly what they need. The best cornerback we've had since Asante Samuel. Um, And, Mm -hmm. and, while I know the Eagles have been trying for years to get him, I'm glad we finally did get him. Um, and hopefully you know, we'll get him to the playoffs and we can see what he does. And by the way, his wife is a great follow on Twitter. Like, she is awesome because I follow him and his wife on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, she's like giving stuff away gives, like every, every game, week. Every home game. She, 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 like the last, the Dallas game, she gave away like four jerseys, four signed jerseys, four signed footballs, hats, helmets. Like, she gives a lot. Like, they are. Not only is he a great player or, and, and great in the locker, like in the community, that family is going to bring a lot to the Philadelphia community. Definitely. Oh, it, it's great to see, honestly. It's yeah. great to see. It's a breath of fresh air. Definitely is. All right. Uh, rookie of the year. This is tough um, because I don't – what rookie – I mean, J, it, it should be Jalen Rager, but he got hurt and was out for what, four weeks, five weeks. Um, I, I, I'm at a loss right now. Who would you give the Rookie of the Year award to? I really debated this one too. I mean, I want I really wanted to give it to John Hightower because he's kind of proven like he's a big threat, but he's mm-hmm. got to lock down that catch percentage. He's got to get those more sure hands because he's been given the opportunity. He should have. I think he's at 180 yards or something. He should, he should be more like 300 yards yeah, he because he should have had. Against- the Ravens yeah he dropped a touchdown he's had a couple big throws from Carson Wentz that were just out of his reach and he put the effort into but he should have had uh for that like long that long gunning guy that speedster I still give it to Jalen Rager because his impact when he's on the field cannot go unnoticed and and like he's gonna be big for us he's gonna be really good I know a lot of people are sitting there and saying oh we should have had Justin Jefferson we should have drafted Justin Jefferson Heinz but like at the end of the day, hindsight 2020, like Justin Jefferson's taken on a Stefan Diggs role. Jalen Reger has barely had the opportunity to be on the field for us. And mm-hmm. and he's already being like put down because he's been hurt, because he's been injured. And that's not fair to him. He fought through an injury early on. Then he had the thumb issue. So now hopefully he's back to 100% that rookie of the year form for the Eagles. And that rookie of the year form potentially in the NFL will really come into play obviously he won't get rookie of the year he's missed too much time for that but I think that his impact when he's on the field is way more impactful than any other rookie I just can't give it to anybody else see I I agree with you um but I'm gonna try to give it to somebody else and this guy hasn't played he's played a couple games he got hurt um but but with the the injuries we've had at this position uh the screw position like when he's been in there especially week one he did a great job Jack Driscoll like it's so unsung. Like, the offensive line position is such unsung. You don't ever hear them talk. They, they get a lot of the blame. Don't ever get any of the any of the glory. But against um, – now, I know we gave up eight sacks in week one, but 
when he when he when he was out there playing because I think he got hurt week one, but when he was out there against Chase Young, he did good at right guard. He's played a bunch of different positions across the offensive line, and we've had so many injuries on the offensive line that when he's been thrown in there when not hurt, I think he's done a good job. And I think this is a guy that, as you know, obviously we have, um, you know, the 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 injuries and, and the age of, of some of these guys. Jason Peters won't be back next year. Kelsey's probably going to retire soon. Lane Johnson probably has, what, three, four, five years left, which seems like a lot, but you, you never know. Um, I mean, Jack Driscoll has a chance to be a, a, a mainstay on this offensive line for years to come when he gets his chance to play. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can see Jack Driscoll. I mean, a lot of these offensive linemen are being asked to do way more than they should. Mm-hmm. Like even Jordan Mailata, he took his first NFL snaps at left tackle this year. Props to him. He did a really good job. And then you just boot him to the right tackle position. Mm-hmm. And it's like some of these other guys are like, oh, we could never move them. But some guy who has almost zero NFL experience, you're allowed to just flip to the right hey, side. Like Speaking of that, Andre Damn. Dillard was asked to do it last year, and he complained about it the entire week and then got benched against Seattle halfway through. What did what did Maialata do? He's like, all right, I'm going to take this as a challenge. And he looked good at right tackle when he played. Definitely. I mean, he had a couple rough moments, but what, of course you're going to have some rough moments. I mean, there's not much you can do. It's like going from using your right hand as your dominant hand to using your left hand as your dominant hand. It's not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. So definitely give him props for that. I mean, you can definitely speak to Jack Driscoll, but that's how we build depth in the trenches is we take these people who are flexible options, who have played tackle, guard, center, whatever, and we move them interchangeably around. And that's how we build a deep offensive line and how some of them end up going off and getting paid and not doing as well elsewhere because we use them interchangeably exactly we use them interchangeably and in different positions and we create that flexibility in case of injuries but we have our core five the main guys that we hold a hold true to along the line and then if somebody gets injured and it's not working out you see her big moving prior moving my lot of moving driscoll moving there's a lot of moving pieces because they want to see what they have and they want to see who's best wherever they can be i even debated actually sean bradley for rookie of the year as well because in the limited plays that he's gotten he's looked pretty good for a position that we clearly don't care about all that much um but sadly um i couldn't give it to him because i don't think that there's enough there although i think that he should be getting a lot more time same with davy and taylor i think some of these guys need to be getting more time and come this- on wallace Kevon Wallace, too. Yeah, there's a lot of guys who should probably be getting more time, but are getting buried behind some people who may not even be on the team next year. We have to keep that in mind. Like yeah. some of these people are are money saving cuts and, and they're that this is something that they should also look at considering doing down the back stretches, trying to see what more we have in some of these pieces that we drafted. Why did we draft these guys? Let's not go cutting these draft picks next year like we did Sidney Jones, Rasul Douglas, Sharif Miller, because we can't find trade partners because we didn't use them enough and people teams didn't see enough of them. So for me, I think seeing some of them play more would be really nice. But there are lots of people who you could definitely pick as rookie of the year if you make the right case for Yep, definitely. All right. And finally, your comeback player and most improved player, I'm going to go with Jordan Maialata. He, again, it's been three years since we drafted him, and there was a lot of talk. Like, maybe he's a bust. He's not going to be the guy they thought he was. But when they threw him out at left tackle, obviously, you know, he's had some technique issues here and there. But when he gets his hands on you, you ain't going nowhere. He is a strong dude. And he has looked really good at left tackle. It makes us question – Andre Dillard, does he even have a position on the offensive line? Because I'd much rather see it. She Jordan Maialata out there at left tackle than um, than Dillard. Even Jason Peters. Like when Peters came back, I was questioning why. Why is Jason Peters going right to left tackle? Like Maialata has not done anything that 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 warrants him losing that position. So my most improved player is Maialata. He has grown since he's gotten here. Not not playing the game of football, being a rugby star. So now he looks like a an, an NFL caliber starting left tackle in the NFL. 
Definitely. I mean, it's it's really easy to talk uh, talk to Joy talk, talk about Joe Mailata as a comeback player of the year. We've held him there. We knew we were holding him for a reason. We just had to wait and find out when that opportunity would be to get to see what the Eagles have done with him. And man, that that's definitely impressive. That's a developmental project that they took on. That I have to give them props for it. That he had the drive to continue to work to perfect that game or to get better at that game so he could play. And then to see that the Eagles willing to invest that much in him put him on the IR a couple straight years and now finally his chance came and they gave him the chance yeah I would definitely agree I would rather a 6 8 300 and something pound guy who people stand beside and he makes him look like like midgets beside him it's really impressive his size and what he's able to do with that size and how quick he is when doing it and like if he gets that out ahead of you and you need a tat you need a block man we saw him lay some massive blocks when he's been asked to move off the line and to move forward with the play um mine would be Malik Jackson though Malik Jackson missed all last season we wanted to know what we had in him well he's got 11 QB hits two tackles for loss and one and a half sacks that's pretty impressive for seven games five games started and a few games he left early or missed because of injury um I think that's pretty impressive and definitely something we were looking for. What was Malik Jackson going to be like beside Fletcher Cox? What was Malik Jackson going to be able to do near Brandon Graham or near Derek Barnett or Josh Sweat? Like, would he be able to be a presence? And he has definitely been a presence. I mean, he has the same amount of QB hits as, as Brandon Graham, but he's probably playing about half the time. So, I mean, he's barely playing. And, I mean, injuries have been a factor with him. But the fact that he hasn't gotten to play the maximum amount of time he could be playing and he's putting up these numbers and he's producing like that and he's proven to be a body uh, a force to be reckoned with inside the trenches is really good and he's showing his worth although sadly I don't know if he's showing enough worth with the amount of money we gave him but definitely I'll give him comeback player of the year yeah and it makes you question why did we give um Javon Hargrave all that money and you could have spent that elsewhere but you know different story for a different day all right so Eagles-Giants this week, second time in three weeks that the Eagles and Giants have met up. Uh, we know what happened the first time. They needed, the Eagles needed to score twice with, like, five minutes to go, and they did, and they were able to win the game. Will uh, And the Giants are playing really well. Granted, Daniel Jones and his career is 4-0 against Washington, but 1-16 against everybody else in the NFL. Um, obviously, the Eagles can't go into this game taking the Giants lightly. You just cannot do it. If you do, you're going to lose. And the Eagles haven't lost to the Giants in what seems like five years, it feels like. Um, <clears throat> it might have been Doug's first year, honestly. But um, what, what are your thoughts going into this game? Got to go to the to the Meadowlands. Um, the Giants playing pretty good football. Daniel Jones playing pretty good football. You know, this game right here, if the Eagles win, the division's theirs. If they lose this game, anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we have to go back to our conversation a couple of weeks ago with Josh from the Missing Link and, and just kind of speak to the fact that we can't play down to these mm-hmm. teams. We've watched, like, I loved when he said that. I thought that was an amazing And it's statement. exactly what happened against Dallas. And it's exactly what happens every week. We either play up to our opponent or we play down to our opponent, but we can never play the exact 60-minute football game we need where we are playing as the Philadelphia Eagles and we're playing as a team we know we can be and the team because we watched them against the Ravens we watched them against the Steelers we know that they can play up to those levels so why can we not blow out the Cowboys why can we not blow out the Giants I get it's a divisional game and I understand divisional games are closer there's just something so sweet about a divisional game that gets that gets other that gets that other team's motor going but for me it's like no no, I get it's a divisional game, and I get that they're playing a little harder than they normally would, but you played the Baltimore Ravens, one of the best teams. You played the Pittsburgh Steelers, the only remaining undefeated team in the NFL, and you played them to the last damn whistle, but you're telling me that the Cowboys and the Giants, you need literally until the last whistle to get to squeak that win out against them? No, no, I'm not you. I'm not accepting the divisional excuse in this circumstance. You have to play like you played against them and you have to get that damn win locked up by halftime because it should be locked up by halftime. There should be no other excuses. This team isn't good enough to do that, unfortunately, even if if they're playing like the New York Jets. But we all know that the last game, Evan Evan Ingram doesn't drop. And obviously, 
Um, there's a bunch of what ifs in every game, but if he doesn't drop that pass, the Eagles lose the first game. And then the season is in totally different trajectory than it is right now. They're sitting at two, five and one while the, um, the, the giants are in first place in the division. It's, it's hard. It's fast. It's hard to think of, you know, of that even be being a consideration, but yeah, you know, you have to come out. I, I don't, I mean, I think the Eagles defense can stop them. Golden Tate might not play. Um, so it, it's going to be Alfred Morris and Deion Lewis and Wayne Goldman in the backfield. Um, Sh- Sterling Shepard. Um, who else is there? Um, I just, oh, um, um, Darius Slayton, like Evan Ingram, the front four for the, again, it comes down to the trenches, the front four for the Eagles half, to win their their one-on-one battles and get into Dan, Daniel Jones is maybe the only quarterback in the NFL that turns the ball over as much as Carson Wentz. Force Daniel Jones to throw up prayers. Force Daniel Jones, you know, to mishandle a ball if he's trying to move around in the pocket. Give the offense a short field so that what you're saying by, you know, scoring early, scoring quick, making this game over by halftime can happen. We need a short field for the offense to allow them to get a rhythm, to get comfortable and for Carson, even more importantly, to let him get into rhythm, let him get comfortable so he's not forcing balls to his receivers. And then on the Eagles side, it's going to be interesting. You're healthy on offense for the first time in what seems like forever. Besides Deshaun Jackson, you have your full complement of wide receivers. Um, you're going to have your full offensive line. They're going to be a go. Miles Sanders, you have your your backfield. You don't have Zach Ertz. You have Dallas Goddard and Rich, Richard Rodriguez. Rich, Richard Rodgers, who has played really well, and, and, you know, for the Eagles, this is what this you have your full complement. You have your speeds. You have your 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 possession receivers. You have your your stalwart at, at the running back position. Use everybody and come up with a game plan that you know we're not sitting here questioning or being able to predict the plays because I feel like I can predict Doug Peterson calls all the time. Yeah, it almost it almost feels like like the Baltimore Ravens in the situation they're in where Lamar yeah. Jackson said that the defense is calling the plays at the line. I almost feel like I'm calling the plays for Doug Peterson um, when he's coming up because his playbook seems just so so simple so mm-hmm. so dumbed down and I don't understand why because we know Carson Wentz it doesn't need something that's dumbed down he just needs to be given the he just not even the time because it clearly shows he's given this, the most time some of the highest amounts of time in the pocket and with more than two and a half seconds to throw that it just feels like I don't know. There's something there. There's something not clicking between the two of them, and it's frustrating to watch because really there should they should be clicking. We watched Nick Foles and Doug Peterson. I hate to bring Nick Foles up, but we watched the connection that they had. Why can't you have that same connection? Because you had that connection in 2017 when you almost made Carson Wentz an MVP. So you got to find that connection again. You got to make this glorious run to the playoffs. And if we do go eight seven and one, if we only lose two or three of these upcoming games. I may start to believe that you win, you're in, anything can happen. I may believe that mentality for the uh-huh. Eagles because you may, you just very well may never know. But if we go through barely winning games and struggling, I don't know if I'm necessarily going to have that mentality. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this game is going to be interesting. Like, it, it's, a, it's a game where we sit here as outsiders and we, we're like, all right, it should be an easy win for the Eagles. But, again, they, they, they like to play things, uh, make things harder than they need to be. All right, so before we get to our predictions, let's move to the unheralded player of the week from week nine, where the Eagles had a bye week in the National Football League. Who, Connor, is your unheralded player of the week? I, I think I picked the really obvious one here. I picked Richie James from the San, wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco got hit with the whole COVID issue there, like, couple days before Thursday nighter, and Richie James stepped in there when they lost Evan, uh, they lost Bourne, they lost Samuel, they lost Ayuk, they lost them all right before the game because of a uh, potentially bogus COVID test that was a false positive, but then it was too late to put them into the lineup, and they were out most of their backfield as well, and, and Richie James went out there and put up a ridiculous line of nine nine receptions for 183 yards and a touchdown, um, catching balls from Nick Mullins. 
uh, as well. And that I found that super impressive. I, I, I was like, wow, that's someone that even when all these guys come back, that's a big game threat. That's a guy like most of the San Francisco 49ers wide receivers produce for themselves. They catch five or six yards and then they produce with the extra yardage yardage after the catch. But Richie James is someone who clearly you can throw the ball to in the air. He can be your deep threat. And I mean, not that not that he's going to be something anytime soon, but he could be someone to keep an eye on for that uh, 49ers team if they need that deep ball threat. I'm going to go with Will Fuller. Um, now, I know he's kind of he's, he's the number one receiver on, on Houston, but he, he's had a bunch of injuries and, and it's kind of held him back. But he had the 77 yard t- game winning touchdown reception uh, against Jacksonville. Um, so they went from a, a 20 to 19 lead to 27, 19. And the Jaguars were only able to get a couple of field goals um, to finish that game off. But he had five catches, 100 yards, that 77-yard game-winning touchdown um, helped the the Texans, who are who also signed Josh McCown off the Eagles practice squad. Because uh, uh, not and the Eagles aren't the only team that that sees Josh McCown, the potential coach in Josh McCown. McCown is going to be an, a, an NFL head coach and a, or an offensive coordinator you know, soon when, once he retires. And I think Houston may have signed him off the Eagles practice squad, a to help Deshaun Watson and B to maybe kind of pick his brain. Cause they're looking for a new coach and maybe that, that there's something they can see him going right from the, right from the active roster to a head coach or offensive coordinator position. And I think that was smart by them. It's going to, it's a big loss. I think for Carson Wentz and the Eagles for that quarterback room, even though he's not here, but, being there virtually, I think, really helps. Um, and I didn't mean to get sidetracked off of my player of the week, but I think that this is an important point to make that that, that the Eagles losing Josh McCown, I don't know how big that's going to be, but it's definitely something to, to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I know that the Eagles are still in discussions and conversations with Josh McCowan to have a career with them when his he retires, yep. when he when he finally chooses to retire. But I also think it, it, it can't go without saying how important it is to have a good backup quarterback. And even we paid witness to it. One of the greatest runs by a backup quarterback. So to have Josh McCowan there, who's a reliable backup, who's been a journeyman, who's smart, he's seen it all, you know, he's a very intelligent guy. That is a very important move by them. And and, and they're making a lot of good decisions now that they finally got Bill O'Brien out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. So Richie James and Will Fuller are unheralded player of the weeks in the NFL. Now, week 10 commences. It is week 10. The Philadelphia Eagles open up the second half of their season in New Jersey against the New York Giants in a big division matchup. <clears throat> Connor, your thoughts and then your prediction for the game. I think from, from the offensive side of the ball, like it's just don't play down. Mm-hmm. That that just feels like what they've been doing. They're constantly playing down, down from behind and also down to the level of the defense that they're up against. And they should be taking full advantage of that on the defensive side of the ball. I, I say keep doing what you're doing. I think the defense has been one of the better pieces, one of the better elements that just the turnovers have put them in really bad situations and people get upset because they give up points, but constantly they're expected to play to a short field instead of getting the full complement of either inside the team's the team's 20 or at the 25 if it's a kickoff they don't get that full complement usually being able to play with all that field but they've done really well and when he needs to bring bring the pressure when he needs to do things Jim Schwartz has done an incredible job of bringing the pressure and just calling a fairly smart play despite that we get frustrated when they go up by seven or ten points and he plays that sticks defense but up until then there's usually not a whole lot to complain about. And I think Jim Schwartz and that defense are doing an incredible job given the circumstance of most defense, most offenses putting up so many points because of the position and they're getting on the field versus our offense that can't put up anything on when they get the ball and can't seem to produce anything until the third and the fourth quarters of games. So, I mean, I think this is a broken record from the last three straight years, like two and a half years of working with you. The, the That offense has to get out early and often and just try and have that comfortable lead by halftime against the Giants because you know you can do it. You know you can. You know if you play 
that final five minutes of the fourth quarter for of the last game for 60 minutes, you know that there's a true opportunity that you can run away with this game early um, and often and, and give the defense a comfort in knowing that, that they just need to make the stops. doesn't really matter where they make them on the field. They just need to make a few stops and keep that game intact. Um, so those are the two things for me um, there. But for prediction... I'm going to keep it low again. I don't think it's going to get any crazier than the last time they met. Honestly, I think it's going to be, I think they do get away. They do get the lead that they need and run away with it a bit. I think it's going to be 27, 14. Oh, okay. To win. Um, I'm, I'm with you, you know, get out, get, get out to a quick start. I also, I'm, I'm a big guy of, of the battle of the trenches. The, the defensive line for the Eagles has to, to get pressure on Daniel Jones, force him to turn the ball over. Um, the Eagles offensive line has to protect Carson Wentz. We know he has that. You know, he, he he turns the ball over. It just happens. So he has to, you know, protect him. You have to protect him to, so he can protect the football. Um, you're going to have – you have all your – most of your weapons available this week. Take advantage. Um, it, it, it It's going to be interesting. Who is James Bradbury going to be up against? Is it going to be up against Rager or is it going to be on Alshon Jeffrey or Fulgham? Um, you know, the secondary for the Giants is actually not that bad, but – I think if the Eagles can get Miles Sanders going and Doug Peterson cannot abandon the run, you'll be able to go off of the play action and get some um, spots down the field. Also, I don't want Carson Wentz force feeding the ball to Alshon just because this is Alshon's first game back. And we don't know how that, how he's going to be, you know, acclimated into the offense or how he's going to get reacclimated into the offense. But when he's on the field, don't, like you said, don't stare down one receiver. Do not, he cannot be the only guy he looks at. Use everybody. You, we know what Travis Fulton can do. We know Jalen Rager has speed. We know John Hightower has speed. We know what Dallas Goddard can do. Get the ball to Miles Sanders out the backfield. Don't force feed the ball to, uh, excuse me, don't force feed the ball to Alshon because that you, you're begging for turnovers when that happens. Um, so, you know, if you do that and you have, obviously if you have a clean game, don't play down like you said because they, they have the propensity to play down to the level of competition, which they have done in all their division games, it seems like, this year. If you play your game and you play the way we know you can play, you're going to win this game easy. It's not going to be easy. It's a it's a division game. So I'm taking Eagles 24, Giants 14. Definitely. I can. I, never, I didn't even think about that point, but it's been something stuck in my head is continue to use the complement of your weapons, all of them. No, don't mm-hmm. just stare down one, one receiver. You got Fulgham, who's been super reliable for you. Jeffrey, when he's been healthy, has been super reliable for you. Greg Ward has been super reliable for you. Dallas Goddard, Richard Rodgers has emerged. There's so many weapons to use. Like Use it like Tom Brady did Tampa Bay last week with all these weapons. He's got all these weapons in play, and everyone had like six targets, six targets, six targets. He's using the full complement of his weapons. Except Mike despite- Evans only had three. <laughs> Yeah, despite the loss and despite some people, a lot of them did have a lot of targets. But you knew, you know that that's the expectation when you have a lot yes. of weapons, and that should remain the expectation with Carson Wentz. Use the full complement of your weapons, and that can really help you because you can guarantee with all those those weapons and all these bodies coming back into play for you that there are definitely going to be some open men. Take your time in the pocket. Use that extra half a second to find that open man and make the right play. Yeah, and it, it's it's a division game. You said it earlier. I mean, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough match, especially early on. But if the Eagles can get out to a quick start and not play down to the Giants, granted, Joe Judge is. I hate to praise the 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 Giants, but and obviously their their decision on hiring Joe Judge. But it seemed like all the tactics that he went through on in the off season with practicing in the rain and doing those water drills to to get like. He's got his team playing for him. They don't quit, and you have to give them that. Um, they're not like Dallas, who, who, you know, if you get out to a big lead on Dallas, they're just going to fold. Um, the Giants are going to play for a full 60 minutes, so you have to come out and play the best that you can play. Um, but mm-hmm. I still think that the Eagles, you know, are going to, are going to be able to find a way to come away with the victory. Yeah, I think the Giants actually have the most games lost by less than a possession or something like that. They have a lot. They've lost a lot. I think every game they've lost, they've lost by 10 or less. But a lot of games have come within one possession. They got that bend, don't break mentality. They really got that that mentality that, that Brian Flores brought to 
the uh, Miami Dolphins mm-hmm. and it and it shows because that can really put you ahead of schedule and you're seeing it in in Miami that they're ahead of schedule for mm-hmm. the rebuild probably in large part to Brian Flores and the mentality uh, that he brought to that team. Yep, and it's it's you got to give a, give these coaches a lot of credit. They know like like Flores going back to Flores before we finish off here of going to Tua when Fitzpatrick wasn't playing bad, but Tua was undefeated so far in his in his couple of starts. So like it, he knows his team, you know the roster, you know you know what you, you know even if you're not anticipated to win the division if you get a guy like Tua, some playing time, and if he makes a run at the playoffs, that's 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 a bonus. But if not, he has the 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 playing experience going into next year when you know they have a bunch of money that they can spend, and he can um you know Tua Tua will have the experience of playing. They build up that roster, and they're going to be AFC's favorites next year, or at least up there with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, absolutely, and it's really great to see. Honestly, Miami is like a feel-good story of if you rebuild right. Because they caught a lot of flack for who they who they traded and the pieces that they got rid of, like a Minka Fitzpatrick and all these pieces, and say, "Oh my gosh, that's so frustrating." As a Miami fan, but look what all those pieces are turning into. Look at what all that money has turned into, and like a lot of people, are, oh, they wasted money. By the end of Tua's rookie contract, a lot of these big contracts are off the books, and you're looking forward. You got your franchise quarterback, and, think, and you have more pieces. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they have nine picks in the first three rounds. They still have Houston's first-round pick. We know how bad Houston is. Like they mm-hmm. have, a, they have a chance to really, really take a jump uh, next year because of of the the assets that they have in the draft. Definitely, and all that time that they have, we always talk about that all-important rookie contract of the quarterback, mm-hmm. and they are going to be able to take full, full. Uh, advantage advantage of that this this year next year for the next three years for sure they can take full full advantage of it and continue to build through the draft yep definitely all right thank you for listening to the kelly green hour as always follow us on twitter at kelly green hour and follow connor on twitter at connor 10 connor t-e-n and follow me on twitter at lg 54 wherever you're listening to us please rate and review the show uh give us any feedback um you know and and follow us on Twitter. Connor does a great job on game days, uh, giving reactions, whether it's play by play, series by series, quarter by quarter. Um, he does a great job of multitasking with uh, doing that and uh, taking care of his uh, son. Because Connor, you are a man. <laughs> uh, I I do my best every <laughs> every Sunday. It's it's a battle, and I'm I'm hoping we don't have many primetime games left because staying up to type that. Uh, game end review up here is brutal because i'm up to like 1 a.m <laughs> uh man i know we got the seattle i know seattle's a night game it could get flexed though I'm, I'm holding my breath that's true that's true and and who knows week 17 can get flexed because it could be for the division eagles redskins or eagles washington excuse me but we'll, we'll talk about that down the road all right thank you for listening to the kelly green hour for connor i'm lj we will be back next week with another edition of the kelly green hour fly eagles fly